0: hi guys welcome to episode 86 all right guys so you're back with another one um so you know again i'm always finding great guests and um you know i always said that i was like fascinated about like sitcoms back in uh even in the 90s to on down um where they had you know these like one-off episodes not not that this has to be a one-off topic but Uh, where they just would randomly do a special, where it wasn't as funny as it needed to be. It was more about the subject matter, whether it was AIDS or cancer or or whatever subject matter was about, um, racial relations and things like that. And so I like to delve into different topics from time to time that isn't the norm, Uh, you know, not just another person with a disability. Um, So we're going to delve into a topic we have yet to cover. Um, but first, let's introduce our first guest. Um, why don't you say your name and obviously a little about yourself?
1: Hello, greetings. Thank you for having me. My name is Joy Fisher Griffin. I'm an educator, a passionate adoption advocate, and that really just began advocating for adoptees' rights and adoptive and foster families over the past four years. Uh, I love the arts. Uh, I've, after going through my own struggles as an adoptee, I wrote my memoir, Finding Joy, A True Story of Faith, Family, and Love. That came out in 2019. Um, I shared the story of how, um, how how everyone could help other people who sit in silence about their struggles. And I wanted to find ways to be open about adoption. And I think if we begin to have some of those conversations about adoption and adoptive and foster families and bring that to the surface, We might be able to help some members of those families find their their community, their safe space to have conversations. I'm also an author of um, two children's books that just came out, Choosing Joy and Adoptee's Journey and Finding Belonging and Singing with Joy. Uh, There are lots of different ways to be a family. Our our young people can talk about many things from social media to what's on TV. And uh, why can't we just jump in and get them started using language that's sensitive for Um, folks that are in the adopted
0: and foster family. Right. Um, So I guess we, well, we take it from the beginning. When were you adopted as an infant?
1: I was adopted as an infant, and I think I was two months. And I would say around the four years old was the earliest I recall having conversations about being adopted. I just remember my mother using stories and uh, at nighttime having conversations about uh, my birth mother not being able to care for me and that she wanted someone or family to be able to help raise me the way that she couldn't. And that's kind of how the stories always started. and it would spin off into some other things, which is why um, writing children's books were important to me because I wanted to uh, have something where you can start the conversation. But it was always something that I knew, but not something that we ever really talked about at home.
0: How did how did you know? Were were, were they like a different race or <clears throat> or No, I'm
1: I'm a black child raised in the black family. Okay. Um, other people would have a hint that maybe I wasn't theirs. I, I look similar to my mother with the same complexion, but my father is of darker skin. Right. Um and we just we don't look alike. So gotcha. when I was with him there would be times where people would say, Oh well, she must look like her mother. Right. You know, some people do it jokingly. Some people question, sound like they're questioning him.
0: Probably more and, uh, about like infidelity, not necessarily adoption. Yeah,
1: yeah something, something crazy. Right, right. <laughs> so as a child, you know, you have to think as the parent, well, how am I going to respond to that? So at times he would respond, yes, she's adopted. At times he would take that person to the side and say, oh, yes, yeah, she is adopted. At other times he would say, yes, yeah, she does look like her mother. So it really depends on, I guess, however he chose to answer it. But on many of those occasions, the yes she's adopted sometimes took place still within earshot. I could hear the conversation, but um, it wasn't always done right in front of me. So I think over time, that's when I began to wonder, OK, can we talk about this or can't we talk about this? Uh, you right. know, They've never said you can't, but it was never anything that really brought it to the floor to have those family conversations about until I would say I got into maybe high school or college when the legislation was getting ready to change in our state. And, you know, they were sharing in the news what the pros and the cons were for changing the law so that adoptees with closed records could then gain access to their records. So there were a lot of battles in the court, battles on the media. And anytime something was in the newspaper, both of my parents, and I say parents as in my adopted parents, both of them would cut the articles out and make sure that I read it. And that would kind of spark the conversation about being adopted and what that meant to me. And. Uh, although they never said, "Well, do you want to look for your birth parents?" Um, I think they always knew that I did. So they always anything, anytime came out in the newspaper or was on the news, they would call me into the room, and then we talk about it
0: then. Right. In hindsight, did you think them telling you at that <clears throat> that young of an age was that the right time to tell you? At four years old, I think old? it
1: was. I, I I think it was because then it didn't. It wasn't that. It wasn't something that someone else. then come back and tell me where they didn't tell me. I know my mother struggled with that and I didn't find out about that until I actually took her to one of my support groups um, Mm -hmm. just a few years ago. And one of the guys who's in our support group was a late discovery adoptee, meaning he didn't find out he was adopted until he was 65. And that was at a family event where somebody just kind of spilled it out on the table. And um, she said to him, she said, you know, I always struggle with wondering if I should have told her as early as I did, or if I should have just kept it to myself. And he said to her, no, I think the best thing you did was let her know. He said, because for me, as a late discovery doctor, he said, I just constantly struggle uh, because I didn't feel like I fit in. And it seems like everybody else around me knew something about the situation, except for me, he said. So I would hear rumors, but nobody would ever confirm anything. So you hear mixed opinions. You hear know, you know, different things from different adoptees. Everybody's journey is different. But I, I I do think they did the right thing.
0: No, that's good. Yeah, I think you hear a lot of teenagers. I, I know a guy I work with I'm really close with. He, um, his daughter, he calls him his daughter, but it's really not his. Um, he has two sons by the same woman, but she's not his. And she was told at a uh, later age and their relationship kind of got torn afterwards. Now I know they weren't adopted, but, um, you know, she thought, you know, he, he took care of her as when she was a young infant and, uh, you know, forever she thought that that was her dad and come to find out biologically he wasn't. And and she, you know, kind of started acting out and doing a lot of teenage girl stupid things. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it is early. good to tell him early on. Um, so you you still and, and that's
1: one of the things too, because then the kids begin to go back and question everything that you've told them over their lifetime when you kind of wait well were they telling the truth when they said this were they telling the truth when they said that do they really mean and then you you're battling against all the things that now the, the child is running through their mind of things that the parents have said over the years and and they begin to question you know your honesty and your character and all that other stuff,
0: yeah. Yeah, I just, I just always, the only reason I would wonder is just because when you're that young, you don't really fully understand a lot of things, especially at four. Um, oh,
1: absolutely. And, and I think that's why, um, even though it didn't come up on in regular, like I said, it wasn't a regular conversation piece, as things that were age appropriate. Uh, you know, she told me that little story when I was four, and that was a story that she repeated for quite some time. Um and I think over time with the media and everything else, you really begin to understand what being adopted means, even if there's no other, not a lot of conversation about it. Uh, so, But then you're familiar with the word. It's not a shock to you or
0: anything. Right. Um, I think, I believe I heard you. you still call them mom and dad? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, I mean, up until when... And I'm sure you had your, you know, pushback and certain feelings towards it, just wanting to know who your mom and dad are. But uh, you were really well taken care of and well, well treated.
1: Yeah, I, I had a very good life. Um, I, you know, there's nothing that I would complain or take away. I think my my parents did a wonderful job. My adopted parents, that is, and um, it, it it's been a blessing truly to have now my birth parents. Have gotten a chance to meet my adopted parents. Oh, wow. And even just to see them say thank you and show their appreciation to my adopted parents for how they raised me.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, you're an advocate for it and, and it's great, but you know, you, you hear a lot of horror stories, and you know, sometimes people do find their, you know, their they're right parents that will take care of them, but then. They had to go through a couple bad ones um, but with you. You you landed in the right place, which is, you know, super fortunate.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, if you're talking in terms of folks who are going through many foster families and being bounced around, that's something that, you know, every state I know is beginning to take a look at. And I think through the pandemic, one of the things I was just reading recently was about um, how states are now beginning to start looking for relatives within the family to adopt kids before, before they send them out to other, other to, to um, have them relinquished to other people in the community. They are asking family members to take on the children of their loved ones to kind of keep the child in the family.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Now, yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about it, but when, when someone goes through a bad experience, were there any physical violence, molestation, or anything in these homes that end up being bad, how do they, like, is there a way that they can kind of mark them down? You know how, I mean, it's a bad example, but, you know, like with pedophiles, they have, like, a dot, where it's like, we can't go in that house. Like, is there a way that they can kind of be marked down as a bad family to go to, or do they just kind of get passed around and maybe they'll get another family? uh, Oh,
1: absolutely. I think a big part of that is, is when they find out. So sometimes if children are going through different homes or group homes and um, if they're not reporting different things, and it makes it more difficult to identify the good ones and the bad ones. Mm-hmm. But I believe that when, I know for us as a school, when we hear that our, any of our young people in group homes or foster homes, if they're having any issues, we have a duty to report that. Right. So I know many of us, that's just a, 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 as it relates to being an educator, period. So there is a duty to report those kind of things. And there are records that are taken, whether you call it Division of Children's Protective um, Services or Division of Family Youth and Services, whatever it is in each state, there is an organization that keeps track of people, group homes, foster homes, you know, just even right. regular individuals that... Right. And I'm sure that's gotten there, better. ...if they called harm for children.
0: I'm sure that's gotten better over time too, right? Because you hear a lot of horror stories, but... I'm not saying they still don't happen, but I think you hear less of them than you used to because I don't think there was much research. I think just anybody could probably just adopt somebody. and But now there's so much more care into it and, and uh, more aware oh, awareness. There's
1: home studies. There's um, folks that come actually come out into your house. They check your background. Uh, there's a lot of front-end work that's done before even a child is placed in your home, whether that's through... Uh, foster care or through adoption there's yeah. a lot of, of checks and balances that you know agencies have put in place to ensure the safety of children
0: yeah I mean and you always like you know I think the more awareness that goes to certain subject matter even just like what we talked earlier about just mental health like you know you hear a lot of these horror stories or just these people that you know these kids that go through these homes and you know they're they're still wanting to know who their parents are and they have this like feeling of resentment or or just anger of like, why did my family give up on me? And, you know, if you don't address these things like mental health, um, at an early age, then that's how it kind of gets worse. And, um, so I'm sure with the information that comes out with a lot of these subject matters, it probably helps with what you're advocating for because, um, you know, especially young ages like that, they're so fragile. Um, and the more information that's headed that way and then the more people that know what they're doing, And not just putting anybody at any job. um, I'm sure it's probably an easier way of getting these kids into a better home.
1: Yeah. And a a big piece of that, a lot of states are taking what's called a trauma informed Mm -hmm. um, way of working with children, realizing that children that are coming in, if you're talking about homes that have been troubled, uh, how do we then work with them? How do we then support them? How do we get them the counseling that they need? Uh, And then how do you work with the educators who see them on a day-to-day basis? So a big part of that is really educating, you know, if Johnny is cutting up in class, it's not necessarily because he's a really bad kid. You don't know what went on at the the home prior, or you don't know if he just moved from one home to another home. So we're trying to, um, in many states, are trying to train educators, case managers, counselors, social workers, so that they can be aware and attentive to those types of behaviors that isn't about somebody just being bad but there may be some underlying you know issues that need to be addressed as
0: well right um as you were talking about before just wanting to come out about being adopted is that label like on a kid is that stills kind of i'll uh, give you like a bad taste in your mouth as far as like when, when people hear the word like oh that kid's adopted it's like well that's probably why he's acting out or whatever like is that still kind of a label that kind of affects some of these kids
1: I think it does. I think um, we hear adoption, you you automatically go, somebody gave them up or, you know, maybe the mother was a little loose and or maybe she was raped. So all those stories, storylines that we hear sometimes in the media uh, just start running through people's minds without any facts or without any information. You just hear adopted and there must must have been something wrong. And sometimes that stigma creates a certain shame and embarrassment in the adoptees, the adoptive parent and the birth parent in terms of um, even just feeling open and comfortable enough to say that their child is adopted or even that they're interested in adopting because so many people, and I think the media has gotten a lot better in terms of storylines that we see as it relates to adoption on television. but. a a lot of the things when I was growing up was about the crazy adoptee who was going to go after and attack their parents. You know, if they found their birth parent, they were going to try to do something to them. Or just some kind of off-the-hook storyline that just was not positive. And I think the media has finally begun to have some more positive storylines that that can change even the child's perspective on their adoption situation.
0: Right. Yeah, because if you think about it, even if someone did, like, the most basic... Uh, you know, homework on, hey, you know, like in your case, I was an infant. And it's like, even if my parents were crappy, you can't say I was crappy or because they gave me up because I was crazy. I was, you know, four months old, two months old. Um, so if you do just basic homework on where, you know, and again, there are some kids that really were bad and they got put into homes and so on. But, you know, I don't think that's the norm. So, um, yeah, I'm sure people just did basic research on, hey, okay, yeah, my background is I was adopted as an infant. Um, yeah. It's not because of me. Um I mean, yeah, and, and
1: and a lot of us as the adoptee, sometimes it it's more difficult to think of it that loosely, because our first thought is if if one, how can we be lovable? Who's gonna want us if our birth mother didn't even want us? So those are some of the struggles that we face. Those that you know, uh, um, issues of abandonment. Issues with identity, because you don't really know where you come from. Issues with um, just loss and grief and fears of people leaving you. And, right. and even though you were, I was adopted as a child, all those things still exist. All those things are a part of trauma. All those my, my birth started with a loss. And it started with a loss of me losing my birth mother. Um, yes, she gained an adoptive parent or adopted family but there's still a loss there. Uh, One of the uh, situations that this gentleman, he described it. He said, okay, you're dating somebody and you're dating them for about seven or eight months. And the time you decide that you're going to get married kind of quickly, but you're going to go ahead and get married. He says, so you get to the ceremony, you're ready to get married, and somebody new is standing right there at the eighth or ninth month of your relationship. It's a change. It's you even even in vitro, even in the womb. We know that there's. We ask women to talk to their children, to play music. There's a reason that they ask you to do all that stuff. It's a part of brain development and all the body development and things of that nature. So if you saw somebody new on the eighth or ninth month, th- that's going to create a loss for you as well. So we try to paint it in, in a way so that people can understand that even if it's even if you're adopted at birth, there's still going to be a sense of grief. There's still going still going to be some loss that. We
0: have to deal with over the year Right um, When when did you actually Really want to reach out to your family Like well You know because I'm sure for a while you probably struggled with it And you know I'm sure there's the You know you don't want to upset The family you actually that brought you up In this world and loves you but You also have this kind of Itch that you need to scratch Yeah
1: that's always Been a struggle Um because you, you're looking around the world, and you you know, in most families, biological families, you see family resemblance. So as an adoptee, you don't see that. I don't, you know, I didn't have cousins where I went down the street and they say, "Oh, you must be such and such a cousin." Didn't have those kind of experiences. So I think finding someone who looked like me, who could explain my quirks, my you know, all the weird little things about me, that that was going to help make sense for me. So something I always wanted to do. And but it just seemed like, you know, you graduate from high school, now you're going off to college. Okay, so now isn't the time, to focus on college. You graduate from college and I, you know, got married, had a, had my first child. And so it just never seemed to be the right time. And I decided when my middle daughter was actually I took her on her college tour, she had an overnight event and twenty three and me commercial popped up. She was on campus, I was in the hotel. And um, they were talking about how you could get your medical records if you send in this saliva, you know, and and they would assess it, and then you could find out some of your roots. And it was at that moment that I decided this is my second daughter going off the child off to college. I had one at home. Maybe this is the time to do this. And I took my last couple little dollars and ordered a kit. I said, okay let's, let's let's do this. Let's see what happens. I've, I've always said I needed time. Um, I also needed to be in the right headspace because I knew that I couldn't get through that this was going to be a lot emotionally and that uh, I thought I was in a better place to be able to do it at that time. So then then I sent the, sent the kid in, got a few hits. that took a few months to get back, but got a few hits, got a hit from a first or a second cousin, got a hit from a third and a fourth cousin. Once I mentioned the adopted piece, when, after I messaged them for a little bit, got them talking a little bit and then sent them a message and said, oh, by the way, I'm adopted. I'm trying to, after that, crooked. I didn't hear anything else from anybody. So I said, okay, let me try the other DNA website and see if I get any hits over there. Same thing. We got a first and second cousins, a ton of fifth through eighth cousins, and but reached out to those that were closer, the first, second, and third cousin area. And one of them in particular, um, she had like close to 2,000, over 2,000 people on her family tree. So I said, she would probably talk to me. So I reached out to her and um, didn't mention adoption at all. Just kind of asked her about genealogy. She loved doing it, shared a little bit about what she had learned over her family over time. And then I finally dropped the adoption bomb on her. I said, so by the way, I'm adopted. Um, this is the year that I was born. This is the city and state that I was born in. And she began to comb, and this is the age that I think my birth parents are. So she began to comb through her family tree to see if we had a relative that matched that age who would have been that area. Because, again, she had over 2,000 folks there, uh, but we weren't able to find anybody. So a, a year and a half later, I tell her, you know, I, and she and I have been talking for that whole year and a half. I said, well, I'm not sure when the legislation was going to be finalized, but I'm here in January. I said, so once. January is finalized. I plan to apply for my original birth certificate. If I get it, and if my birth mother does not um redact her name off of it, I should have a name to give to you so that we can match it up. So we had a couple more months to wait, and then uh first couple of weeks in January, she reached out, "Did you get the name yet?" And I said, "No, I didn't get the name yet and then uh that's when I realized the legislation announcement that was going to be done by the press was two days later, so I decided to go to that. And um, a few weeks later, after that happened, I was able to get my original birth certificate. It had my birth mother's name on it. I sent it to that cousin that I found on the DNA website. um, And the name was nowhere in sight on and not even anything that closely matched. And so then we realized, well, maybe we're related on my birth father's side. But then we still had to figure out how to get some information from my birth mother. So it was between... Social media, um, Google, we were able to find my birth mother, popped in her name and Google, popped in her name and Facebook, up popped her picture, and we, I, I started writing letters, and I wrote letters to her, sent her messages on Facebook, and just asking her to reach out to me, and she hadn't reached out for quite some time, and then my cousin and my oldest daughter said, oh, just go to her church, because at that point, we found a lot of information about her on Facebook. And uh, I said, I can't just show up at her church. But before I knew it, she responded to me on uh, Facebook. And that began the beginning of the the conversation and the beginning of the relationship. And once she solidified that I was who I said I was, and in my letter to her, I wrote my birth name and a birth name was on the birth certificate, only she would know that. And so she confirmed who I was and then gave me my birth father's name. I then gave that birth father's name to the cousin on uh, 23 and me, not 23 and me on Ancestry. And um, she called me immediately and said that that's my first cousin. And so before I knew it, in, in one day, the end of January, I was talking to my birth mother and my birth father at the same time.
0: Wow. Were they, were they weren't together anymore?
1: No, they weren't together. They hadn't been together since my, since I was born. Wow. And they did go to college together and um he ended up graduating one year he graduated the year after but they had not been in communication until until i came back into their lives
0: right what was the conversations like were they happy conversations was it awkward
1: Yeah, Well, I mean, it all starts off kind of awkward because you don't really know, you know, I think my birth father, when my cousin, I told my cousin I couldn't call my birth father because I just wasn't ready to do that. Because at the same time, I was text messaging my my birth mother. My birth mother didn't want to talk to me on the phone. She said she didn't want to hear my voice until she actually met me. So she would only message me through messenger or through text messages. And, um, those conversations were, they were very smooth went Fine found out a lot of things about her that were similar to me. But with my birth father, um, my cousin called him and told him what was going on. And, you know, he was, uh, well, what does she want? Is everything okay? And all that kind of stuff. And then she called me back and said, well, I don't think he's going to, um, call you for a few hours. He, she said he wasn't shocked. So he knew that you existed, but I don't think he's ready to talk. Okay, she said give him a few days. She said, maybe two or three. So I was fine with that because at that time, again, I'm still I'm talking to my birth mother while I have her talking to my birth father. And so I said, okay, I, that that's good. Let's let's just see what happens. Within 45 minutes, he called, and he and I stayed on the phone for at least two and a half hours. And it, it, was, it was very cordial, very warm, very welcoming, um, acknowledged that he knew that I existed or that I was out there somewhere uh, and really just went through every ounce of family history. I think he could in about two and a half hours.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's pretty cool. That's gotta be very surreal for you. What, how old were you when this happened?
1: I was 46.
0: So yeah, I mean, 46 years go by and a lot of information is coming your way within two and a half hours.
1: And at that point, when you talked about the need for mental health, and mental health and how it matters, I I knew that I needed counseling. I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to take in all of that information and um, know what to do with it because I, I literally felt like I was going crazy some days. I'm like, is this really happening? Is, you know, what am I supposed to do? And so I was reading some books. There's some books on reunions and things are going to feel and things are going to go through. So then at that point, now we're preparing to meet. So it's, okay, so how are we going to do that? And I found myself from January to the end of March, every other week we had some kind of family event with one side of the family or not or the other. So by Sunday Monday, I was just emotionally drained, and that's where counseling I really believe saved saved my life and kept me sane through all of it because you're just juggling with so much that's being thrown at you. Yeah, a lot of people want to ask you questions, and you have questions, and you don't know, you know, what fine lines to cross, what not to cross. So it it was a very emotional um, period of of life, and and it was also a time when I thought it was important for my girls to be in counseling too, because they all these people, people were going to be coming in their lives as well.
0: What did you What did you tell them? Like, did you were you as cordial with them about, you know, you being like that's not you know your mom that you grew up with isn't their grandma biologically like how did you break it to them
1: <laughs> they actually found out when i think my oldest was maybe 10 10 might have been might have been nine i think they might have been nine seven and four at the time so they were cleaning up cleaning, doing their little chores, cleaning off the bookshelf. And I had a baby book and inside the baby book was a card that says you weren't expected, you were selected. And so I always hid that because I didn't want them to find that baby book. I would put it inside of another uh, photo album because I I just never felt comfortable telling them that. And my kids asked a lot of questions. So I knew that they would be asking my parents a lot of questions, probably at the most inappropriate times. So again, constantly worrying about what everybody else is going to feel. Um, I didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. Well, they found that book and they came in the room and they were coming to tell me that I was adopted. They didn't think that I knew because oh. I hadn't <laughs> told them. <laughs> They're like, "Mommy, we have something to tell you. Uh, we found out that you're adopted. Do you know how much it cost?" I said, "Oh my!" <laughs> <laughs> so I then had to let them know that. Um, no, you know, I did know that I was adopted and I just chose not to tell them because I didn't want them to ask me, excuse me, my parents, those kind of questions, like how much did she cost and things of that nature. I said, but, you know, I'll let your grandparents know. You can ask them questions if you like, but just don't do it in front of everybody. I said, you know, there's certain times that you can talk about things and certain times you shouldn't, but those would be private conversations. I said, it's not that it's a secret. Everybody in the family knows that I'm adopted except for them.
0: Yeah. Um what was your mindset but, uh, at that point? Like, were you embarrassed to tell them? Like, was it? I was, yeah. I was, because I didn't know what to say. I didn't
1: know what to say. I didn't know what they would ask me that I didn't know the answer to. Right. You know, because based on my complexion, I, we would always get to, well, what are you? All right, what are you? What are you mixed with? What are you mixed with? And. Um, I didn't know what our what my race uh, ethnicity was. I knew that I was black, but I didn't know what I was black and mixed with what else. I had no clue, no idea. Right. Um, so they knew that those kind of questions we would get about who we were and who we looked like or who we didn't look like. Um, but I just I didn't I didn't know how to have that conversation with them because again, it wasn't something that we talked about, but it wasn't something that we. But they did hear us talking about adopting legislation over the years, but again, their kids, they're passing and running through rooms. I don't think that meant anything to them at the time.
0: Right. Yeah. One year, not the other. And yeah. Yeah. They just, yeah. and even
1: then I, 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 in talking to my youngest daughter today, she's in her um, mid 20s now. Ooh, uh, she um, was saying that she's now beginning to realize the impact of my finding my birth family and what it had on her, because originally her thought was, Oh, mommy, that's your thing. You know, she didn't think that it had anything to do with her, but as she's beginning to know what she now identifies or realizes are her biological family as well. Um, she's seeing some of the things that we have in common and some of those, like I said, weird and quirky things. We love music. We have a lot of allergies. We love the arts. um, and she's starting to see those connections to the family that she now knows as our biological family.
0: How are your, how are your kids reacting to meeting them?
1: My youngest daughter actually, she was the first one to meet a relative on my birth father's side. She was going to do something at a studio in Atlanta. She's going to see her cousin, and um, while she was there, she said, "Well, I might as well go on and meet." You know, my aunt, well, my aunt, her great aunt, and they met, sent pictures, had a wonderful time. And ever since then, it it means something different to her um, and it means something different to the girls. But we met my birth mother before her church. I mentioned earlier that she was an associate pastor. She felt it was important for her to give her testimony before her church to let her church know of some of the challenges she had at a younger age. And um, then she wanted to introduce herself and them to me, and that was the moment when she actually heard me speak. So for a, month, a couple of months, we had been communicating, but again, just through text messages and just through Facebook Messenger, and until we met that day in her church. oh Wow, so that was that was crazy too. Um,
0: I'm assuming your the parents that you were adopted to it were they supportive of everything?
1: Yeah, they've been very supportive. Uh, one of the things my mother would always say, just do it. Just, you know, just do it. You want to find out? Go ahead. We support you. My father would always say, you know, we're here to support you. Whatever we need to do to support you, we're here. Um, we had a feeling you would want to look, but, you know, that's kind of why we talked about it and let you know about legislation and the things that were changed over time in case you wanted to look without really even asking me. They would always give me the information. Um, so we're excited for you. Well, we know that it's going to be different, but you know we're here for you. And my thing after going to some support groups, because I also went, not only was I going to counseling, I found two wonderful adoption support groups. And in those support groups were adopted parents and birth parents. And I got a chance to hear, even before I met my birth parents, some of the challenges and some of the struggles that folks went through on their own reunion journey. And I got to hear different perspectives, you know, since it wasn't just adoptees there, you got to hear from those other voices who helped me put some things into, into place in terms of what I was hoping for in my reunion and what I wasn't. And uh, one of the things that I, I heard often was many adoptees struggle with um, blending those two families, you know, because folks can sometimes get a little territorial. I don't want you to meet your birth family, you know, and and we're happy for you but we're not really happy for you because we feel threatened by it so there's just so many um barriers and things that can get in the way along the journey that i i I asked both my adoptive and my first parents i said i don't want to be one who feels like i'm torn apart i said i'm seeing it in my support group set Adoptees, we're just trying to put the pieces together, and yet we have family around us and friends around us telling us that everything that we're doing is wrong or how dare how dare you go and look for your first parents and you have these wonderful adopted parents. So we're battling with all this stuff. After a while, some of us will start to shut down, and I just didn't. I, I was just hopeful that they would understand that it, it meant more to me if they would do whatever they needed to do to be a part of this journey. Um, without me feeling like that I was battling or one family was against the other family. right? And, and they've been very supportive ever since, since then. And I did give them a book to read, just asking them to take a look at some of the feelings that they're going to go through. In the support group, one of the things I learned was that um, birth parents, when, you talk, when you're getting ready for a reunion, birth parents are being taken back to the time when they relinquished you. They're being taken back to that period of time in their life where whatever the struggles were, it, it's bringing all that stuff to the surface. But you have to also think of it, or I had to also think of it, is that it does the same for my adopted family, that whatever their struggles were with fertility or whatever the case may be, that um, you have to think about that part as well. Yeah. So trying to juggle the two and be sensitive to that and recognizing that my story is not just my story alone. It, it does include... Personal parts of their stories, stories as well.
0: Was there any kind of sorrow or sadness on your biological parents that they gave you up, or was it just like, okay, it's you know, well, you know, it's what we did at the time, and we don't regret it?
1: Yeah, I, I think with them both, and and people will always ask, well, do you have siblings? And I think uh, one of the things that my um, cousin that I found on DNA when we found my birth mother's site. She said, I think she thinks of her decision often. She said, if you look at some of the things that she posts, she always talks about, you know, getting over challenges in life and struggling with some things of the past. She said, I, I she said, I think that your story is a part of some of the things that she posts. And when I did, when I talked to her and, you know, you, you do find out that, yes, they did. It wasn't just we relinquish you and now we're done and we just forget. It's something that many birth mothers struggle with for years Uh, and which is a a big part of uh, because each state's legislation is different in terms of whether or not their adoption closed records can be open. But one of the things that the media will often say is that birth mothers want to remain anonymous. And in New Jersey, we actually had a few birth mothers say we didn't sign any paperwork that said we wanted to remain anonymous. The paperwork actually says that they could be given information after they turned 18 or after they became an adult. Uh, if they wanted to reconnect, so the world sometimes thinks that birth mothers want to remain anonymous. But until you talk to actual birth mothers, mothers, that's not always the case.
0: Right. Um. So that that you had since you had such a great experience as far as you know your adopting parents, what made you actually want to advocate? Because
1: at 46 years old, sitting around the table, um, listening to adoptees, adoptive parents, and birth parents talk about adoption as if it was just a regular conversation, Um, nobody was crying. They were able to tell you their story. They were able to tell you their struggles. Some of them had horrible reunions. But the fact that they had their reunion or were able to get information and um, go through counseling and go to support groups, the fact that they were in a healing place, I felt that if I could be like them, not only could I help myself, but I, I might be able to help somebody else who's struggling silently because we don't talk about this. And if we don't talk about it, then it doesn't give people the freedom to find out about support groups, to ask about adopting kids, to, ask about, to talk about going to counseling. So it was really just important for me to um, figure those things out. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be able to create a space in our communities where we can talk about adoption without whispering. And especially in the black community where we really don't talk about adoption. Um, and, and we have a lot of kinship adoption. We have it, It's not anything that, that, that's new to us. It's been going on forever, but it's always been, you know, very secretive about many of our family stories. And even that day in that legislative room during the announcement, There were maybe 90 folks in the room. There were four people of color. Mm -hmm. So I knew, had I not been in that room, and one of them was a guest speaker, had I not been in that room, would the information even have gotten to my community if I'm relying on the media and what they were going to put in the newspaper the next day about the legislation and what changes were made and how that impacts me as an adoptee? Right. Um, So it was wanting to get to a place of healing, but also wanting to be a voice so that other adoptees knew that this law exists, and this is how you can obtain your birth records. And if you need support, these are the support groups that you can go to. If you need workshops and counseling, these are the places that you can go. I wanted to learn more about the resources to be a voice to help other people.
0: Right. Yeah, or well,
1: direct people to help. Because, so you know, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a case manager, but to be able to say, oh, well, did you know that Tapestry Books has nothing but adoption books? They have great materials,
0: you know, to so do that kind of stuff. Right. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think it, I'm sure, it seems like it's super important to you to have, you know, especially, like I said, I was going to ask you about the racial proponent of it because there's a lot of things that go kind of under the radar in the black community because, like, you know, I, you always hear, especially, like, in the white community, just kids going missing and, and, you know, the pedophilia and all that stuff you hear it in the Spanish community, but a lot of the black stuff doesn't really come out, even though it happens every day, you know, 2 million kids mm-hmm. go missing, especially black women, young black girls go missing all the time. It's just not something that really is in the media. Black people don't really talk about it. It's kind of like a thing where at least most black people don't talk about it. and it's just, it just is there. And I was wondering how that is uh, talked about as far as the adopting part of it. Um, because, you know, it, it, it it sounds stupid, but there's, you know, you, sometimes you have to go by community by community because, you know, there's some things that get on the radar and some things don't.
1: Some things that don't. That's true. And that's true.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and with that, I, because we, and, and like I said, folks have been adopting formally and informally for years. Um, and, and a big part of working with this group, they said, well, Joy, you know and they're they're predominantly an older white group of of advocates. And they said, look, we're older white people. They said, but the majority of the people who are adopting nowadays are people of color. They wanna hear from voices from folks that look like them. And they said, we've been doing this for 34 years. So we're looking forward to finding some folks where we can pass the torch and say, you all, you know, go on and continue the advocacy work that we've done. And that was their challenge to me. Um, And then the black community, Grandma has been raising such and such as kids right, for years. Right. I see taking care of somebody else's child for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, step parent adoption. Some do it formally, some do it informally. Kinship parent adoption kinship adoption, not even kinship parent. Kinship adoption is, is very big in, in, um, in the adoption space. and that could even be a teacher. Uh, you hear about that on you know on the media every now and then. Uh, teachers that are adopting children that need care. Um, so adoption, is, it's, it's all around us. Um, we just have to stop, stop whispering about it and, and just talk about it so that people can find that, that community of support because the support systems are there. And what I've learned from the older folks who, who are working or have worked and continue to work in the space as advocates is that the research is there, the data is there. Um, now it's really just bringing all these voices together. And through this pandemic, there's so many voices that have come to the surface. Uh, that are talking about their adoption. So how can we bring all those pieces together so that we can help one another?
0: Yeah. Is it super important you to be kind of like a role model and just be someone for, you know, especially young black girls to look up to? Because you look at, like, even something on a big scale, like when the Black Panther movie came out, so many black people, like, reacted to it. It was like, oh, my God, even though there's other black superheroes, there's other black villains and so on, but it was something different. It was, like, someone that looks like them. Um you know, and, and this is a, you know, this is a smaller scale, but a more important topic. Um, is it very important to you to be that kind of role model to show like, one, is it okay, it's okay to be adopted, but also, you know, it happens to black women. Um, also, I'm sure it's big for you to just be independent and just be a strong black woman at that. Uh, it was like, is that something that kind of weighs on your mind of just kind of being a good representation?
1: combination of all of that Um, you're starting to hear more stories about transracial adoptees that's uh, an adopted child of one race being raised by a family of a different race and I I think um, getting people to understand how they can support that child growing up in their house Um, getting Mm -hmm. young black girls to understand that yeah you were adopted and whether you went through the adoption system or the foster care system you know, we want them to know the supports that are out there. But I, I think for me, it's really just all across the board, all across the board. But I know that in the black community, again, we really don't talk about adoption. So having those conversations and, and creating that safe space, you know, and just taking the questions and be, being open enough to be able to say, ask me what you want, because these are some of the things that adopted parents are wondering what their kids are thinking, because the kids might not be talking about some of the stuff.
0: Right. I'm um, trying to figure how I should word this question. Not that I'm trying to soften it. I'm just trying to figure out a word because I, um, I had a friend who was adopted, and he was adopted. He's uh, he was he was half black, half white, and uh, his dad's black, his mom's white, and you know he went to many different families, different colors, and so on. And I remember one family where I used to visit him a lot. He was adopted by an interracial gay couple, um, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, when you're in high school, that stuff gets out. Um, and he's very protective, and and now he's just. You know, oh, I hate this place. And they, they were, you know, really well off financially. They did really well. And um, they were kind of strict and so on. But uh, the question I was trying to get to is, I don't know, is is it better off for people who to be adopted to be adopted that look like them? Because, you know, I think you see some of these struggles where like if, if maybe, you know, like if you were adopted by white parents, and again, they could be great parents. But that's probably going to make you really start to think. Well, clearly, I don't fit in this family because I don't look like them. And again, you may be treated well, but you know, you go, Your mind wanders all the time, when, especially when you're young like that. Um, right. Do, do you see any? Yeah, is, is there certain causes that really screw kids up more if they're not adopted by someone that looks like them? Like in his case, was adopted by you know a he gay was couple.
1: By, right. And I, I think it's a matter of whether that adopted family is going to put in the work to educate themselves about the culture that that child comes from right. and educate those around them. You know, I, I, there's a number of um, folks that, like I said, new voices that have popped up on social media, one young lady, a black girl, white family. And she shares very clearly her journey and some of the things that she wishes that her family, you know, talked about a little bit more, gave her the space to feel free to talk about and explore as it related to her culture. So, I, you know, as long as folks aren't talking about this whole, well, I'm colorblind, but you can't be colorblind because if you're raising a child of a different race, the world is going to see that. So what are you going to do to prepare them for the world that they're going into? Right. So I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, you know, yeah. whether one is better than the other. If if it means that a child is not going to be sitting and being bounced around from foster home to foster home and they're going to be loved, let whoever wants to love on them, love on them. But take take the responsibility, though, of educating yourself, educating the people that are around you. And if you know that you're in an environment that is not going to be welcoming to a child of color in, in your family or in your community, how serious are you? Are you serious enough to move to make sure that that child is raised in the community that, that will su- support them a bit more, where mm-hmm. you're going to be immersed into their culture? Um, because it's not just about just doing some things on one little day or, you know, Black History Month or Asian Awareness Month or Hispanic or Latino uh, Month that happens. you, you got to do more than that. You have to do more than that. You have to surround and immerse that child in folks who look like them.
0: Yeah, I mean, because you know they'll say like you know, no one can really raise a, a boy like a like his father, and so right. you know yeah, if you are let's say a white family trying to adopt a black kid, you probably need to do some research and realize.
1: Gonna, yeah, absolutely.
0: You're gonna oh, have absolutely. to teach them what it's like to be black, not just what it's like to be adopted kid in my white family. You have to really, you know, one they need to learn their culture, but two they also. Need to know what it's like. It it is different for them. It's not the same.
1: But yeah, and and what are some of the challenges that they're gonna uh, face in the world that they may not face as parents? How are you? How are you as the parents gonna react when a child someone refers to them, you know, inappropriately and and unfortunately transracial adoptees? That's what they're they're called. It, as they become teens, folks just seem to feel that they can go and ask them whatever the heck they want. You know, it's not questions you would normally ask the same race family, but why does it seem to be okay to go and ask the transracial adoptee, you know, something about their parents? Because it's very clear that those are not their parents. Um, So it's just all those things you really should think about before you even enter. And uh, if you have a good case manager and a good social worker before you even enter into uh, adopting that child, that you're having those honest conversations about what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with conversations and comments? And you can't be silent about it. You can't let your child hear certain things being said about them out in the community or at at events and things of that that nature and then you don't say anything. Because what message does that send
0: to them as well? Right. Yeah, it's amazing that we have all these different messages and these different communities and these groups and, you know, couples, all these different ways of, of, you know, just love and just communicating. But there's so many other variables that are thrown in there. Um, Like you said, with the the, the racial uh, transgendered couples like it's just there's so many more questions that are going to be asked and uh, and, yep. and it and really has to be ready for him. yeah but it, you know it's, it sucks especially like i said with my friend he, you know he was in you know went to school together and you know you're so trying to not you're trying to fit in as best as you can and mm. if you go come out and say yeah you know I'm, I'm not only am i adopted i'm adopted by a gay couple an interracial gay right. couple it's like right there's so many things and it's like you're just trying to get through life and trying not to be bullied you're trying to just graduate or or just fly through the day just get through the day because you know especially now where like kids can't even go home because the bullying doesn't stop whereas Mm -hmm. when i was in high school i graduated in 08 and the internet was there but it wasn't as big as it is now um and so you know it's just i remember him being so cautious and when someone found out about it he thought i told and i was like no man i didn't tell i don't i don't care i've been to your house i don't give a shit. But
1: yeah, and and that is it's funny that you mentioned that because that is that's what's written in my children's book, Choosing Joy and Adoptee's Journey and Finding Belonging. I talk about and the next one, next book is there are lots of different ways to be a family. And I use pictures of a gay couple with a child, um, you know, interracial families with a child. And that was I wanted to include that because those are the stories our kids are living. Those are the stories that are real life stories for adoptees. And if we can get little kids to start having these conversations and they begin to see that as normal, oh, okay, you know, then it won't be so difficult to have those conversations. Or, again, we won't have to shrink and hide ourselves or for fear of being outed, you know, by somebody else, because that's a whole nother level of stress right there.
0: Yeah, and you you don't know how many of these kids you're saving because there's so many of these kids that are just in these shelters and just are struggling mm-hmm. and and you know it's bad enough that they don't have a family now they're just in some place that are probably not getting the best food and just they're being mistreated and you could save one of these kids and they can have a really good life or they can go down the route of you know even like what you see in the black community you see a lot of these kids who don't have fathers and they're just killing each other and it's it's horrible. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of these lost kids that just don't have much to believe in other than these false prophecies and these people that are just leading them down the wrong, you know, roads. And there's a lot of families like, I mean, you got to give credit to some of these families that are different colors and different, you know, genders. And they're taking in these people that don't look like them um, because there's a lot of risk that goes in that. There's a lot of knowledge that you need to, you know, take in and. You know, a lot of responsibility more than just, you know, like with your family you're just adopting another black person that looks like them because you could kind of if they didn't want to tell you, they could kind of get by saying, look, right. you know, we're we're related because well, look, obviously, but right. um and they don't have to teach you anything new for the most part. Whereas all these other yeah. families, they they really have to take on a journey of something they maybe, I mean, I guess if you're going to go down that route, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into, but um you can't really prepare for everything. um so yeah, yeah. And
1: I, like I said, I think having those conversations with young people early—that there are a lot of different ways that we can be a family, and every family is, is is can look different, and it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. So if we start with young people having those conversations as they grow older, it'll just be part of th- their way of thinking, and they'll get away from some of the other the other negative thoughts about it, you know.
0: Right. And there's
1: it,
0: and things of that nature. Yeah, and I mean, and, and there's nothing worse than when you see these kids that are so lost, and it doesn't matter what color they are. But when you see them, you know, like when these kids shoot up schools and all that, like it, it's unfortunate because you see, you know, obviously mental health is a huge part of it. But you know, parents a lot of times don't want to take credit for their kid when their kid grows up to do something stupid. But when their kid grows up to be a doctor or a lawyer, it's like, oh, I did that. That was because you know we taught them right. But then when their kid does something terrible. It's like, well, it was, you know, rap music or rock music or video games or whatever. And it's like if parents spend a lot more time in their kids' lives and realize what they're going through. And because there's so much more kids are dealing with nowadays. Uh, and there's oh, so yeah. much information that's just there for them. And, you know, if you don't stay on them and you don't realize what they're going through, then, you know, bad things can happen. Um, but it's not easy for parents either, because if you tell them not to do certain things, they're probably going to go and do it. And so, you, you know, again, I don't have kids, but. And
1: that's biological or adopt Right. That yeah. doesn't matter at
0: that point. Right, exactly. And so that's why it's yeah. just, it, it's very really key to have these conversations, but also parents have to have an open mind to everything because you go and tell your daughter, don't go out and do this and don't do that. And, you know, now she's pregnant and that's, you know, what are you going to do? It's, it's you know, I don't know. Like I said, it, you just got to have to be really ingrained in their lives because, like I said, it can go south and I mean, look what kids are dealing with with this, all the COVID stuff where now they can't even go out and hang out with their friends and meet new people and date. They have to stay in their house and do homework. Um, and that's a whole new challenge. And so I'm sure that's like I said, it's it's these kids. If you don't stay on them, like, you know. That's how some of these kids go a different direction. And it's probably, I would assume you'd agree, but it's good to have at least multiple parents in their lives to, or at least positive figures, even if it is a grandma and a grandpa, whatever, just, you know, it's probably good to have a good, a female and a male, you know, perspective because, you know, there's multiple things they can teach you and, um, you know, life is very challenging and it's just, it seems to be getting more and more challenging as, as we go on.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah social media and technology and things that are even seen now on TV that we, you know, wouldn't dare come on the screen years ago. Uh, Life is just changing. Life is changing and things are moving at a faster pace. But I I agree you mentioned the importance of family, um, the importance of the extended family, whether that's bringing in your your friend down the street or uh, another relative to be a, a voice in that child's ear. Right. Um, and people are looking to to belong to things. They're looking to be loved. They're looking to be nurtured and cared for. But another piece that you mentioned was about being educated, making sure that people are learning all these different things as well.
0: Yeah, there's just so many, and you gotta just let them be aware of all the traps that are out there. Like you just, you know, I, I promote my podcast on Instagram, but every time I look on there, it's just some girl moving her ass, and it's just like it's just it. It's like girls believe that you know, and they can make money off of that, but it's like, mm-hmm. girls are just thinking that they have to just sell their body to, uh, you know, be a, make a living and, and to get attention because they are beautiful. It's like, be fortunate that you have beauty and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with going out and doing something modeling or something. But when you go out there, like, and your whole goal is to just show your body just to get attention, to make money. It's like, you know, it's, it's not where you want your daughter. And again, where you don't want your daughter to be, but yeah, there's a lot of traps, like I said, social media and the Internet and everything is so complicated. It's not just this, hey, you know, you know, there's a couple you're, you're two clicks away from being in something terrible. Um,
1: yeah. And that stuff doesn't go away. No. Even if you think you deleted it, it did not get deleted.
0: No, exactly. They yeah. Can all Those come are back some here. of the
1: conversations we have with our with our kids and in, in school, too, about the use of technology. Yes.
0: Yeah, We're um, being
1: responsible. You know, how you're really branding yourself for the future. And you right. have to be careful, careful with what you post, careful with what you share.
0: Yeah, because you could say something thing. and one of the things that we are in this cancel culture and all that things don't context doesn't really matter anymore. So, like, right. if you say something, even if it's joking, it could be racial, whatever it can be. And if it's in context of a joke, it doesn't matter because comedians right. are getting canceled. So, yeah, and it's in the form of a joke. Now there's some comedians yep. that can't doesn't seem to get be canceled because they're uncancelable. Like Dave Chappelle doesn't seem to care, which good for him. But it's like some people. <laughs> if you're that big, you probably will be okay. But some of these, you know, mid tier, they're they're going to constantly get in trouble because, you know, of some text or some tweet they put out ten years ago.
1: Years ago, yeah, um, yeah, we see that happening.
0: Yeah, and so if you're some, you know, like in, in your case, one of your kids who are doing okay in life, but they're a nobody in comparison to Dave Chappelle. What are you supposed to do? Like, you're you that can cost you a job because jobs are looking into people's social medias and they even want people's Absolutely. passwords and things. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yep. I don't know necessarily that, is right, but that's what they're doing.
1: That's what they're doing. And even the colleges nowadays, they're checking you out before you come into school. Right. Especially athletes. That's what we tell our athletes. They're going to want to see your social media. So I suggest you start cleaning it up now. Yeah. And don't think they won't find that fake account.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was a big thing with like the basketball player Kevin Durant. He would just he had like a fake account where he would just like defend himself. And, Rant, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. just like okay, what do you? Do? It was just weird, but it was like, dude, you don't really need to do this. You're such a big player and just a great guy, like great player. Like, why do you care about this stuff? Um, but yeah, that, those are kind of all the traps that are in there, and that's why I'm getting back to what we were originally talking about, just being adopted. I'm sure you know having good parents who adopt you are being good role models to kind of, you know, cause if you just, you know, especially being adopted, if they know it, you have to stay on them and let them know that like, Hey, like I said, there's so many traps out there and one false move and God knows where you end up. And that's kind of, I mean, everything is, there's there's landmines all around you. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's um, And that all goes back to good parenting too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before we get out of here, um, is is there any like misconceptions and things that you want people to know about just adopting or just being adopted?
1: Um, Being adopted, we struggle with identity. We struggle with um, fears of abandonment. There's there's a shame that comes along with it. But I think to get over that or to, uh, it's If we would have, if we begin to educate people, and if we begin to share a little bit about trauma experiences, and if we share about some information about brain research that um, helps people realize that some of the issues we may have as adoptees are just a part of of being adopted, and some of the things that come along with being adopted, and can be overcome, and that counseling is important, that um, support groups help. And that there's tons of resources that are out and available um, for the adoptive, for the birth family, and for the adoptee. And that, again, my goal is that uh, I'm hoping we normalize the conversation so people can stop whispering. And when people can stop whispering, other people will begin to find their their community where they'll get their support along the way.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think you're an awesome person. You're like a very beautiful soul. You seem to be on the right track and I'm happy that everything worked out for you with your family. And, uh, if you ever need anything from me, please just reach out. And like I said, hope we can keep in touch. Um, I will promote your books when the, when the episode comes out, I'll put the links in there. Um, but yeah, anything you need, like I said, I'm just happy that I got to meet you. And, uh, like I said, you're an awesome person.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I I love one of your messages, which was don't give up, keep fighting through adversity. And that's the same thing we do as adoptees on a day-to-day basis. And I know you mentioned that quite
0: often. Yeah. When you you nearly see death, as I did, you know, it kind of puts it in the perspective of, you know, it can end tomorrow. So you might as well try to make the best of it and just keep fighting because there's a lot of people... And I'm sure you see this in in, in you know with the being adopted. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that just feel alone and and there's no one like them, mm-hmm. um, especially with the stigma that's put on them. That oh you're adopted. It's like oh well you don't want to tell people, so that's why it probably doesn't get out there as much. Um, yeah. And so people with disabilities, even though there's I don't know how many, but I know there's at least thousands of people with visually impairment or blindness. And there's period, you know, there's plenty of us, all of us at one point have felt like we're alone, even though there's plenty of people out there running around with canes and dogs and, you know, and whatever else. And, and mm-hmm. we're not alone. It's just, you know, there's a lot of, you know, even what we're talking about, the racial tensions and all, there's so much smoke in between that it's hard to reach those people nowadays, even though you think it's easier because of the internet, but there's so much bullshit in the middle and, um, And, you know, you just got to continue to fight and and push and know that there's other people out there that are struggling just like you, regardless of whatever your color is, your gender, what your mission is. Um, You know, like I said, we have similar missions, but it's it's two different things in some ways. But it's still all about helping people and trying to, you know, put information out there. And, um, yeah, it's just don't give up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Continue advocating for those communities that 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 where folks don't have a voice. I think that's our our common theme right there. Yep.
0: There you go. Um. Yeah. Thank you again. I appreciate you doing this.
1: You're welcome.
0: Um. Yeah. We'll talk soon. And uh, uh please take care of yourself.
1: Okay. Take care, Timothy.
0: All right. Bye. All right. She called me Timothy. I feel like an adult as I act like a child um oh she was great uh i say that about everybody but i really i i you know find great guests i guess that's a skill of mine um yeah like i said it was a different topic i don't know i just i i love things that i i didn't even think about this i just saw her on pod and i was like okay i'll reach out to her and you know what a good woman what a delightful conversation that was um Okay, I just I heard people talking and I was wondering if it was her on the phone or, or something else, but it's just someone outside, so I'm not going crazy. Um, yeah, guys, I hope all is well for everyone. Hang in there. Uh, yeah, still battling my mental health, been kicking my ass. Uh, been off and on in a weird place. Uh, I bought these new uh, multivitamins. This is my mental health check of the episode. Uh, these multivitamins, they're called, what is it, Garden of Life? Yeah, Garden of Life. I got to take them four times a day. and It's got, like, everything. It's a it's a mixture of all these vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin B. Like, it's called, like, a vitamin B mixture or something because it's got, like, B12 and B3 and B, all this other crap. Um, so we'll see how that works. I'm only, I could, I'm only on my second day, so it's hard to say if it's really working or not. And I'm also back on my medication, so there's that. And, but, yeah, I've been a mess lately. So... Um, you know, not many people have checked on me, but hey, what are you going to do? I'm sure when this episode comes out, people, oh, my God, we didn't know. I, okay. um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I hope all is well. Like I said, please, everybody, take care of yourselves. Hang, you know, check on the people that care about you. And uh, you never know who's struggling out there, regardless of mental health or not, physical problem, whatever it is. You know, maybe they're dealing with a financial problem. I don't know. Just check on them. Um. You know, love up your animals, or something I haven't said because I'm a big animal person. Love your animals up. Don't abuse them. I hate you people if you abuse your animals. Um, yeah, and I think we can get out of here. Oh, I'm looking into getting like music and stuff for this uh, royalty free, as it's called. Uh, I'm looking at that. We'll see. Well, no, well, I, it's gonna happen. I just gotta figure out the right mixture of like an intro and an outro song and all that. So. That's another update. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you for all the support. Please like, comment, subscribe, share, and all that. Um, if there's anybody that can help, please just you know share it with them. Um, trying to keep people alive. If there's anybody who hears this and wants to be a guest, please reach out to me um, at my blurred opinion on um what do you call it on Instagram and just look at TJ West and just put Williamsport in Facebook. Um, I should come up. Um, but yeah, just get a hold of me, and uh, I'm out there. Uh, it's not hard even to get on my Facebook. I have my numbers on there. Um, I don't give a fuck. My number is two six seven five seven four four five two nine. I don't care if I get my number. Somebody stalks me. What are you gonna do? Is what it is. I'm not. I don't hide from people. I just. I'm just trying to help people. So somebody wants to be a guest. That's my number. Um, if you um uh, yeah just need a friend, someone to talk to. I will try my best. And uh, I will see you guys in the next one. All right, guys. Bye.